Now, welcome back to the Morningstar Men's Ministry Podcast. It's been a little while since we've gotten together and since uh, we've done any podcasts. So the reason for that is uh, many-fold, actually. Frankly, we've been a little bit busy. There's been some technology issues, weren't satisfied with the recording quality. And I'm not saying that the recording quality here is great. Moving ahead, we're getting some better equipment. We're going to try to little, be a little bit more organized. But because of what I perceive to be an incredible value to this new series that we're doing, The Making of a Champion, I wanted to give every man that's part of the Morningstar family access to this material. I know many of you can't be there on Saturday. Perhaps you have to work, you have family commitments, or other reasons why you simply cannot be there. And, I mean, I know I'm a little biased about this, but this material is so good that I don't want any man to miss out on the benefit that they could gain from this simply because they can't be there on a Saturday morning. Additionally, another note, if, if you would like the regular handouts that come along with these this weekly series, we'll be happy to email them to you, make them available to you, even in person if you ask for them. We keep some extras at the men's ministry table. However, let's get back on track here. New series, The Making of a Champion. This is the opening week, and... This is not recorded live, so I'm just taking us through a few of the primary uh, foundational principles, I guess we'll call it, that are essential in order to understand what's going to come next. So here's the way this is going to play out. Today we're going to look at some understandings about what a champion is, what a champion isn't. How do you personally take inventory in your life? How do you evaluate where you stand on certain things? Uh, we're going to look then in the next eight or nine or ten weeks, depending on how long it takes us to get through all of that, a series of essential qualities, qualities that are so important to the making of any greatness that I believe they can't be left out. Uh, an illustration that I just find very helpful, I've, I've used it before and I'll use it again, is that of a barrel lock. Uh, we're all familiar with the four-number barrel lock that you might see on a, uh, a gym locker, for instance, and you've got to have all the numbers correct uh, in the correct position before that padlock will open. Now, here's the thing. First off, you've got to have all the numbers. Having three of the four numbers right, it doesn't open. But having all four numbers right, but having them in the wrong order, the lock still doesn't open. And it's sort of like that with certain things in life. You've got to have all the pieces in place. You've got to have them in place in the right quantity and in the right order in order for things to work. We understand this from many other things in life. There are systems and processes to follow. They have to be followed carefully. I believe that's actually equally true when it comes to personal human performance and especially when it comes to doing anything great. So what I'm going to do is just walk us through a few of the foundational concepts of what it means to be a champion. And the first one is, why would you want to? And I guess you have to look around in your own life and say, is there anything in your life that really is worth fighting for? Is your family worth fighting for? Is your family worth being great for? Yeah, perhaps in your workplace, is there anything there that is of such value that you're willing to pursue it and fight for it? Because what we know, and, and I'll pause from, from maybe explaining why we might want to be champions to look at what a champion is, the way we're going to define championship. And here are a collection of thoughts. First off, a champion could be a warrior or a fighter. So ask yourself, what's worth fighting for in your life? What is so important that if something comes to assault it, if something comes to attack it, you would give your life for it? 
you would stand between it, the aggressor, the attacker, that would do harm. You would stand between it and that thing that you felt was so valuable that you would lay down your life for it. Here's another thing that, that perhaps is a more intellectual and nuanced sense of the word, an advocate or a defender. Is there anything in life that requires your intellectual defense? In other words, are there principles that are coming under assault? Are there concepts at work that are worth defending? Is there anything in your life that deserves your best and nothing but your best? And here's a phrase that I heard a little while ago, something attributed to Buckminster Fuller, where he said that one of the things that can give purpose to a person's life is to identify something that the world desperately needs and which you happen to be very likely to be skilled at giving to the world and which you also sense probably won't get done if you don't do it. So a need in the world, a skill set that you possess that aligns itself nicely with that need in the world, and a frank recognition that if you don't take action, it's likely that no action will be taken. The convergence of those three, incidentally, provides a great place for you to look at where does championship performance, where is championship performance most needed, where could you play the greatest role in life. All right, so maybe that's in your family, it's in your business, wherever it is. What I'm going to encourage you to do right now, actually, is pause this and take an inventory of your life right now. Is there something that deserves your greatness? All right, and then we'll pick up now. Uh, hopefully you've paused, but now we're going to come back to the next thing. And here's the next thing I'd like you to do, and that is to ask yourself as you move through these these concepts in the weeks to come is this true about me and that's going to require you to take a, a personal inventory is this quality of a champion true about me if so how much or perhaps is this quality not at all true about you here's the next one do you want it to be true do you know what it would take for that to become true in your life so let's take something that's pretty easy to see let's say that you wanted to compete in some athletic event and you were not particularly skilled at it you were not particularly coordinated now and you knew that it would take a lot of practice well the first thing you could say is no that's not true about me now I could not do that thing at a caliber of play that would qualify me to compete well do you want it to be true in other words do you want it desperately enough that you were willing to take action to make it true and then this, this next quality, what would that take? And this is where a lot of people trip up. They kind of have a, a sort of an idea that they want something to be true. They know it's not now true. And they're willing to make some sacrifices in order to make it true. But you know what? They've just never clearly enumerated steps 1 through 10 that it would take. In other words, identifying the steps that are necessary and the time that it should take in order to achieve a certain level of competence at something. Uh, the final thing is, and we've already kind of alluded to that, am I willing to pay the price? Now, a few thoughts on regret next, and I think that's especially helpful coming right on the heels of, of asking those questions. Let's talk about regret for a minute, because regret is that thing that we typically look at and say, at the end of life, you don't want to look back on your life and say, boy, I wish I did, if only I had. Boy, I wish I had taken a little bit more time here and a little bit less time there. Boy, I wish I had exerted a little bit more effort here and perhaps a little less effort over there. I wish I had given more here. 
spent less there. Uh, we know we know the standard lines of regret. Well, what I'd like us to consider for a moment is this: it's not a question of if you are going to experience regret. Every single human being will have some sense of regret. Well, let me take that back. If you are psychologically and emotionally healthy, you will probably experience some regrets. The question isn't, are you going to arrive at the end of your life and have some regrets about the way you have lived? The question is, when you look at those things that you regret not having done, are you going to be able to say, yes, but I didn't do those things because I was doing something even less important? or because I was doing something even more important. And that's the deciding factor. Regret that is nagging, regret that is haunting, is not the regret of having not done certain things because you have done other things that were of greater value. Regret that is excruciating, that is soul-killing, that a person just doesn't know where to go with. That kind of regret lives at the intersection of an awareness that this is what I did with my life, and this is the great thing that I could have done, but I didn't do. And as men, where we want to land at the end of our lives is in a situation where we can look back and say, yeah, if I would have had a little bit more time, if I would have had a little bit more money, if I would have had certain opportunities, I'd love to have done these other things. But let me tell you what I did do that I'm confident was of significance and was of great value. And I am so glad that I took the time to do that. And so that's where we'll leave it when it comes to the idea of regret. Well, when it comes to being a champion, I think we'd all have to acknowledge that if you want to be great at something, you're going to have to make some changes in your life. None of us is great naturally. None of us is born into greatness. None of us is born smart. None of us is born great. None of us is born skilled. All these things are acquired competencies. And so to acquire a competency and be proficient at something means that you're going to have to make a change or two in your life. You're going to probably have to make numerous changes in your life. So very quickly, I want to walk us through three principles that pertain to change. The first thought is that we make no change. Not that change doesn't come to us, because change comes to us, to us all. You're older today than you were yesterday. That's a change that you have no control over. Certain changes come to us, whether we like it or not. Perhaps if you're aging, your body is not performing the way it did when you were 30 years younger. That's change that comes to you. You cannot stave that off permanently. Certain changes come to us. Emotional ups and downs, financial ups and downs, they come to us. That's not the kind of refusal to change that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is those things that are within your control, that you have the capability to make a decision, I will or I won't do this, and every day we're faced with a question. And we make a choice based on a cost-to-benefit analysis. Is this thing worth doing if it means that I'm going to have to change something in my life? If I'm going to have to remove something, spend something here instead of there, do this instead of that, these are the kind of change issues that we face. And this is where you have to make a decision in your own life. Remember back to those questions, is this true for me now? Do I want it to be true? What would it take for that to be true, and am I willing to pay the price? Well, here is the price-paying part of that. If you want to make important changes in your life, they're going to have to come out of what already is in your life. Something is going to have to go. Something is going to have to change. Something is going to have to be modified that is already in your life in order to do the thing that you say that you want to do at a championship level. 
which leaves us with only two questions regarding change. What type of change? There's what we call incremental change, where we improve a little every day, we go in a different direction a little bit every day, and that's especially helpful for many things. To be a little better today than we were yesterday, to be a little better tomorrow than we were today, that is extremely helpful change. But then there is a different kind of change, and I'll call that radical change, and radical change is not leaving from the same station that you would have left for incremental change. Radical change is saying, I either figuratively or literally have to rip these things out of my life, move to a different area, uproot something in my life. I cannot get to where I want to go if I leave from where I'm starting right now unless I make this radical change. Now, here are the dangers to both kinds of change. Incremental change because it's easy to adapt to because it's only a degree or a fraction of a degree per day. It's easy to move into that kind of change. The problem is that if anything tempting or more compelling comes into your life on any given day or any given season of your life, you're just as likely to incrementally move back out of that change that you started to make. We've all done this. We start to eat a little bit better and then some opportunity comes up and then we move back to the way we were eating. We start to do a little bit more physical exercise, and then something comes up and it tempts us to pull back out of that physical exercise. We were making an incremental improvement, and now we make incremental regression. And sometimes the only cure for that is a radical change, which means I do something so substantially and significantly different that it causes me from that moment on to have to act in that way. We see examples of that in the scriptures, for instance were one of the Old Testament prophets. I, I believe it was Elisha. He's given an invitation to be a prophet. And his first step is actually to slaughter his oxen and burn his plow. And he uses the wood from the plow to make a sacrifice to God and to actually create a feast for all the other workers that are out plowing in the field with him. It's a big day. It's a monumental day. But it is also a day that marks a radical change in his life. Look, if he gets tired of being a prophet, if it doesn't all work out for him, if he gets 500 miles from home and he decides, man, I don't like this at all and it's really difficult, he cannot simply return to his farm and return to his oxen. They're no longer there. His plow is no longer there. His place in the field has been filled by somebody else. That is radical change. That is bold and aggressive change intended to rock you out of the world that you're in and move you toward the thing that you claim to want. And sometimes it's the test of championship performance. All right, another key foundational point about being a champion, and it's this, that all championship performance is found at the convergence of two things. It's competency along with passion, or it is skill and knowledge along as combined with a passionate commitment. Now, let me illustrate this so that you understand. Without passion, you'll never be committed to learn and to practice and to perform over a period of time to get great at something. Without passion, you probably won't act. But passion alone is never enough, as evidenced by the fact that we see many people that get all excited about some change in their life, and pretty soon the passion dies and the change dies along with it. And conversely, we have all seen people that seem to possess an enormous amount of skill or knowledge about something, and yet they don't seem particularly passionate about it. 
That knowledge and that skill, even when combined ideally, remember the barrel locks uh, principle of all the, all the pieces in place, when the knowledge and skill are both present and both present in the right amounts, there's still no excitement in the person's life about doing something. And so your greatness, your championship life, lies at the convergence of passion and excellence in when it comes to skill. I'm going to pause now, let you think about that. Uh, why don't we get back together in just a few minutes after you've had a few moments to reflect on what we've talked about already. Okay, welcome back. Well, before we leave that whole topic of uh, passion and competency, I want to leave you with another question, and that is this. Which of the two do you believe, do you sense that you lack the most of? Passion is very difficult to work up. It is, it is extremely difficult to become passionate about something for which you have no passion. I realize part of that is an emotional response, but even at an intellectual level, there are certain things that each of us is attracted to that others aren't. In the same way that some people are drawn to baseball, some people to football, part of that may be background, what we've been exposed to in the past. Part of it might be something genetic. It is very difficult to arouse passion when passion does not exist. So is it passion? Are you, are you right now trying to do something that you're just not excited about and is the best thing for you to make some significant, even radical change in your life to move in a different direction because clearly you have no passion for doing this thing? And incidentally, I'm not talking about those things that we have made a firm commitment to and we shouldn't walk away from. I'm not here talking about the fact that, oh, wow, I used to be kind of in love with my marriage, but I'm not really passionate about it anymore, so I think I'll just go quit on that. that that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in terms of your commitment. Remember what we said a champion is. Champion is a warrior who's fighting for something, an advocate or a defender, uh, even someone who does battle on behalf of another person, a representative. The scriptures refer to us, for instance, as ambassadors of Christ. And so that certainly standing for the kingdom of heaven in the right way at the right time without being weird or odd about it that can be a championship endeavor so where does your passion lie and if and if you're not finding it in what you're doing right now maybe the question to ask yourself is can i be passionate about this ever well if it's not the passion that's most lacking then is it the skill the capability is it knowledge that's missing is it skill that requires additional practice? Is it assistance that needed, that's needed that you don't have? So when it comes to the performance element, what I know and what I can do, what would it take to elevate from mediocre or average or respectable performance to championship performance? Would it be understanding more of the theory of what you're doing? That would be knowledge. Would it be understanding more of the skill component of it. So in other words, the technique and then the practice thereof. Is that what's missing? Have the courage to give honest answers to, to those questions. All right, let's move on to what I believe is perhaps one of the most powerful foundations that we need to talk about. And here it is. Winning is an event. Championship performance is a way of life. And they are distinguished by two things. Winning is a commitment that resides in time, that is achieved once, 
and may not be sustained or maintained. When we speak of championship performance, we're not talking about the isolated win. If we use the sports team analogy again, a championship team we don't typically think of as the one that just wins once in a while. They have the staying power. They have the stamina. They have the durability. They have the endurance to win with consistency. But there's more to it than that. They have the character to work their way through losses and difficulties. And so the way that John Wooden, one of the greatest coaches of all time, expresses it is this. To win takes skill, but to become a champion takes character. Now notice he doesn't deny the skill component of being a champion. It's, it's evident. You can have all the character in the world and not have the skills, and you will not be a champion. But what he says that's worth all the weight of this statement is this that you can, with skill, win occasionally, but without a championship level of character to stay when it's tough, to fight when you're down, to move beyond your losses and get to the other side of them without character, you will never build a reputation as a champion, and you will move through life with occasional wins, but without a constancy and consistency of track record that sets you apart as being a champion. Here's a way another coach words it, and there's two quotes we're going to look at here really quickly. It's from Bobby Knight, who is well known as being one of the great Hoosier basketball coaches of all time. Most people, he says, have the will to win, but most don't have the will to prepare to win. Well, preparation is a character issue. The desire to win is the desire to be out there basking in the glory, performing on the day of the event, having the crowd cheer for you. That's the will to win. The difference between winning is that winning is done before other people. Practice is rarely done before other people. The only other people that are there in the practice field are your teammates. Practice is often lonely. Practice is frustrating. Perhaps game day is beautiful, sunny at 70 degrees. Practice might be done in the rain, and it's 45 degrees and pretty cold. Here's a second quote. Sort of a carbon copy of the first. He says, the will to succeed is important, but the will to prepare is more so. And what that speaks to is this, and this is another character issue, coming back to Wooten's quote. Preparation takes time. Preparation is done in private. Preparation is done before there is any glory. And here's, here's a biggie. Preparation is done before there is a guarantee of a win. So remember, leading up to game day, both teams are preparing. Sometimes the difference in who becomes the winner on game day and who walks home the loser is how much preparation each did of the right quality before they both before both teams entered the, the field of play. So champions must commit to prepare. They must commit to endure. They must commit to come back from failure knowing that losses are an inevitable part of championship performance. Let's pause there for a minute. I'd like you to meditate on that for a minute and ask yourself again, coming back to those questions, is this true for me? Do I have staying power now or is that a weakness? And I want you to be brutally honest because the only person that knows what's going on inside your head right now is you. If you're listening to this while you work out or on your drive into work, nobody else knows this. 
If you can't be honest with yourself when you're alone, you have little chance of ever being honest with anyone. Take the time, have the courage, here and now. Remove all the excuses, remove the personal rationalization, just get brutally honest with yourself and say, do I honestly have the will to prepare to win? All right, welcome back again. This is going to be our final segment. This may be a little bit longer. You might actually have to pause this a couple of times, either to write something down or to reflect on one point or another. So what we're going to do in the next few minutes, in the final minutes here, is take a look at an 11-step process for change. And this is really a methodical, systematic process for change. I gleaned some of these ideas out of an Inc. Magazine article, and I've refined them a little bit and tried to tailor them to this presentation. I don't expect that you're going to say that this is all new to you. It's not. Most of us know many, if not all, of these principles. The key here is to look at the way the principles are organized and laid out, the order that they're placed in, and also to identify the several that might be holding you back. The difference between good behavior and great behavior, uh, let me borrow a phrase from Jim Collins right now. His primary thesis behind the book, Good to Great, was that this, was this, it is not mediocrity or poor quality that stands in the way of greatness. He says it's good that stands in the way of great. It's just enough comfort to keep you okay with comfort so that you don't have to hurt in order to get great. Yeah, it's just enough comfort with what you do have that compels you to stay the way you are. Remember we talked about that during change. Do you want to change? And it's just enough comfort to keep you happy where you are so that you don't fight aggressively to go where you could. So here are these change steps in order. And the first is take ownership of this of this change process. You can delegate responsibility for certain components all day long. You should delegate. You may not be the right person to do everything. You may need some assistance. You may need a personal coach. You might need a number of things. You can delegate certain responsibilities to other people, but ultimately, you are the only one that can be owner and responsible stakeholder of your change. Never, ever, ever blame somebody else for the change that you needed to make in your life using them as an excuse for what you didn't do. Just identify that, admit it, return to it, and say, okay, I was blaming somebody else for my what I didn't get done. I delegated something to them. They didn't do it the way I wanted. Remember, you delegated it to them. You have to own the responsibility for that. Now you come back and you fight for your own greatness. Number two, prioritize the steps in this change process. It is a change process. Are there five steps that are necessary? We'll get them in the right order. And you might have to experiment. You might go out and begin to make this important change in your life and find out that you've prioritized them incorrectly. Uh, In a sequential sense, maybe there's five steps in your change process. Maybe you started out on step number three, thinking that number three was actually number one, and you find out after experience, after evaluation, that it's not. All right, return, return to step number one. Own that responsibility to make the change. You made the mistake. It's okay. Remember, 
character as the found one of the foundational components of championship performance. The difference between champions is not skill, it's not knowledge, it's character to fight through the difficulties. Prioritize the steps is number two. Uh, number three is create an accountability to yourself and to others. So if there are teammates of yours that are going to be part of this championship performance, if you are getting help to be a champion at something, create measurable, distinctive accountability check markers and, and make them visible. Maybe it's a poster on the wall. Maybe it's a three-by-five card you tape on the bathroom mirror. Maybe it's a, a, a reminder that you place in your phone that pops up every so many hours or so many days and says, did you this or did you that? Create some good accountability, motivating accountability in your life to remind you when you're getting off course. The next one is pretty important. Make it clear to all of the stakeholders in your life what you're doing, what you're attempting to do. Now, let me illustrate this. If you're married, it's improbable that you're going to make any significant change in your life or strive for any level of greatness in your life but what it's going to impact your family. Now, that at a face level or a superficial level seems very obvious. Okay, you're going to tell your wife you're going to start training. You're going to be home an hour later every day because you're going to be at the gym a little bit more. Or you, maybe you need to learn some things, and so you're going to be good down in the basement on your laptop. You're going to be reading some articles, learning some things, and you're going to be away a little bit more, whatever, it, whatever that is. Now, you're going to need to gain the buy-in of those family members or those other participants. Uh, remember, you, you're, you're asking them to own part of this success. But here's the thing. Carefully consider the impact on their life. So if you're not going to be available to your family for an additional hour a day, hypothetically speaking, we're just using an easy example here, who's going to do what you would have done for that hour? And then the next sequential question to ask is, if they're going to have to step in and spend an additional hour per day or per week doing things that they didn't normally have to do, what in their lives is not going to get done? And are they later on going to become bitter because certain things that are being asked of them make it impossible for them to fulfill other responsibilities? You see, the direct line of connection between a person making change in their life and an immediate stakeholder, that line of sight connection is pretty evident. What's not evident is the people in that stakeholder's life that you will never see. And there is spillover into their lives as a result of your decision. Your decision places pressure on the stakeholder, such as a wife or a child or a business partner. That pressure placed on them places pressure on people in their lives that you don't know. Make a clear chart of connection that allows you and all of your stakeholders to think through who will be impacted by this change you're trying to make. All right, the next one. Look ahead and anticipate. Diagram out the steps in this process and start to anticipate what you will need by certain times. One of the great, easy-to-see illustrations about this is somebody who's a trail hiker and is going to do a long-distance hike. So imagine, hypothetically, you're going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, you're going to hike the, the Continental Divide Trail, or maybe in the east, the Appalachian Trail. Most long-distance hikers strategically pay, place packages with food, certain clothing items they might need, maybe a little pick-me-up emotional treat that they, they're looking forward to getting. 
And what they do is plan ahead and say that by week such and such, on day such and such, I should be hiking through or near this town on the trail, and my food supplies will be there. They've anticipated, they've planned ahead, and they've placed resources at the right places along their pathway in advance so that when they get to that certain place on the trail, they know that their resources are going to be waiting for them. One of the most demoralizing things, and don't make this an excuse, but one of the most demoralizing things is to have early success only to be thwarted partway through a change effort toward championship performance because midway through this process, all of a sudden resources dry up because you didn't anticipate out far enough. Get some people who have gone through this change, a similar change to help you out with this. Uh, buy a good book. Talk to some people who have done this. Make sure that you're anticipating what will be needed at certain phases. All right, now a good way to do this, step number six, to, to create a process timeline and then plan for the unexpected. Uh, let's come back to step the steps we talked about where you're going to map out a step one, two, three, four. Let's say this time it's steps one through ten. It's going to take you ten steps to get from where you were to where you want to go. All right. Most of us who have ever managed any kind of a project or have done anything significant, we know that there are interruptions that come along the way. Materials don't arrive on time. People don't show up for work at certain times. This or that goes wrong. The weather is bad. Certain things interrupt the process that you're, you're working toward. The beauty to an organized timeline and process map is this. There may be things that can run in parallel. You can do steps 2 and 5 and 8 at the same time because they're not integrally connected. In other words, there's not a dependency relationship. A dependency relationship is when step 2 can only be done after step 1 is done, when step 3 can only be done after step 2 is done. In other words, step 3 depends on step 2 having previously been done. Now, some things in your process timeline have a dependency relationship, but there's others that don't. Identify the things in your process timeline that don't have a dependency association, and then perhaps you can work on those. In other words, don't stop dead in the middle of the road and do nothing because you're not able to make progress on step number four due to the th fact that somebody didn't show up, the weather was bad, resources weren't available, whatever it was. Are you able to work on, for instance, step six, which is not dependent on step four being completed? Identify areas where you can make a lateral move and continue to move ahead so that you don't lose momentum. Loss of momentum is particularly frustrating and discouraging. Character can overcome it. But remember, each of us only has so much character. And look at character as the weight that you can carry on any given day. And maybe on a typical day, you're walking along with 10 pounds of weight when you can easily handle 30. But on a bad day, you might be asked to carry 40 pounds when you can only carry 30. And maybe you can carry 40 pounds for a little while. But when too many things stack up in your life for too long, there's a breakdown because you simply cannot carry that much weight for that long. So create that dependency versus lateral movement timeline to help you. Uh, next thing, keep improving as you go. 
let's say that your championship performance one day, uh, as an Olympian, let's say, hypothetically, is that it's going to take you four years to get somewhere. Remember this, you don't need to be at peak performance level at year two. Understand that your goal of becoming great at the end of four years in preparation for an Olympic performance is not contingent on your being Olympic-level material in year two. It's contingent on your being Olympic-level material at year four. That gives you years one through three to gradually build up every area of your skill, your knowledge, and your character so that by the time the anticipated arrival date of your competitive event, if you will, arrives, you have become the person that is necessary to meet that challenge head on. Champions know the day that they begin the journey toward championship performance that they are not what they need to be at the end of the they will need to be at the end of the journey. And so they're making incremental, constant improvement as they go along. All right. Let me pause this for a moment. Okay, I want to go over just a couple more of these steps in the change process. The notes, if you ask for them or if you get them uh, in an email, the notes are going to outline a couple more steps. But there's a couple here yet that I think are incredibly important. Uh, step number 10 is one I want to really focus in on, and that is determine your starting point. And this, again, requires a brutal level of honesty. Uh, we'll take a sporting analogy because I think it's helpful to, to allow us to see where we need to go. Suppose that you have a daughter that's competing as a gymnast, and they have a goal to be at some national level competitive state in, at the end of two or three years. You've got to take a good, honest look at where this person is right now. Because when we lie to ourselves, and we do that all the time, we convince ourselves that we are somewhere, that we are something that we are not yet. We're passionate about it. We want to be there. But there's a difference between the passion that says, I could be, and the honesty that says, but this is where I am now. Really be specific and pointed about how many things need to change in order for you to achieve championship-level performance in the future. So be clear about your skill level now. Be clear about your knowledge level now. What is it to so? So suppose that you want to create a new computer application or a new phone application. Do you know how to write code right now? All right, is that going to stand between you and creating this application? Do you have any familiarity with basic computer science? Is that going to stand in the way of your writing code? Do you even own a computer? Is that going to stand in your way of having computer knowledge, which is concurrently going to stand in the way of writing the code? Be brutally honest with yourself about exactly where you are and how far you need to go and where you're leaving from. If you're a single dad raising three children, you're starting from a point with very little free time. You don't have a lot of negotiable free time because you are committed to some pretty important things already. It doesn't mean you don't have any time, but be honest with yourself about where you are so you don't become demoralized with the process of change later on when it takes longer and is more difficult than you expected it to be. And number 11, this is the final one, and I think this is particularly helpful. Stand outside the change and look at the end result. In other words, 
How does what you want to accomplish, start a business, reach a certain level of profitability, become a great teacher of something, uh, compete at some athletic event, run a marathon, be, be a great parent, whatever it is, how does this singular goal fit into your larger purpose for life? There are a great many people that become disillusioned because at the end of years of effort, they stand on a medals platform somewhere. They hold a trophy in their hand. Somebody places the final check in their hand. It's taken years to reach that. But somewhere along the line, they lost sight of, if they ever had sight of, how that singular, isolated attainment would fit into a larger and more significant purpose for their life. And then when they get to that point, it feels empty. Because all of their success is now behind them. And they have no next step in life. And they're confused because for years they've gotten up every morning or stayed up late every night with a mission in mind. Now they have no more mission. Their one and only goal has been achieved. And they don't even understand how that fits into a larger picture for life. Now that's not to say that it's not recoverable from, that people can't move on to find purpose. After that, of course they can. We certainly believe they can. But the wiser person understands up front that no single isolated achievement or attainment is going to provide lasting meaning or significance in life. So understand how the accomplishment of this one victory or this season of victory is going to fit into an overall purpose for your life. All right, gentlemen, with that concluded, I'm going to say your next step I would recommend is for you to do a careful inventory of where you stand in this. I've talked already about certain things that you might want to inventory, but now that as we've diagrammed this change process, if we've talked about this together, I want you to ask yourself this. What are the things that I have heard in the last several minutes talking about the, a change process that I'm weakest at, that I should work most at, that perhaps I've never even given any thought to and I've struggled for years to make change and never taken into account how that can be a factor? Identify those things that need your help. Identify those things that need your attention. And then we'll come back next week and, re, and we'll look at the first quality of a champion. And the first quality is an intense desire. I'll see you again next week.